Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to a very special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. Uh, this is an episode I've really wanted to do for a while now because I have obviously, uh, if you've been following the podcast long enough, you know I do a lot of writing for Unicorn. I've become a full time member of that team very recently, which is super exciting. And hopefully, you guys are tuning into all of that because we've started a really great momentum going on there uh but the esports media scene is weird and complicated and you know very young in a lot of key ways and yet you know very uh much on the cutting edge of some other things just because of the nature of the industry and so i think there's a lot to talk about and, and break down and kind of analyze here especially as we look at so many big events from 2012 as uh, as 2017. God, it's been a long day. Um, long but year too, right? Oh, God. What year yeah. is this? <laughs> I am 12 and what is this? No, but we're going to get started uh, with two people that I am very excited to have on the show today. Uh, the first one uh, from the Flying Courier, it is Victoria Rose. Victoria, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I, I'm doing well. Now that I remember what year it is, I'm, I'm 100%. <laughs> Uh, all it's ready to definitely go. the dog. It's. I'm just gonna say that now. It's the dog, 100. percent Oh God, what an adorable dog too. Uh, and and speaking of the adorable dog, the person who brought that dog into our <laughs> lovely lives, uh, Chris Chopsky Pollock. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, I am pretty good. It is Friday. I'm happy. I have a dog next to me. Uh, Oscar, come say hi. Yes. Here we go, little Oscar. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the important oh. things. Yeah, this, this is really the pinnacle of esports coverage right there. Like, that's, that's all I want from, uh, from a site for sure. But, I, you know, I want to talk to you guys about what your journey in the esports scene has been and kind of how you landed where you are now, because both of you are established figures, I would say, by this point, um, who've, uh, you know, have, a, have been very fun to follow uh, personally. So, uh, Victoria, let's start with you. Uh, what was... What did it take for you to kind of become the Dota 2 uh, kind of analyst that you are now? And, and how, does, how does the Flying Couriers partnership with Polygon kind of shift things from maybe where you've been in the past? Yeah, so um, I think most of where I've been has just been doing my own thing for... Well, it started like, I guess, two years ago. I was just doing writing. I really wanted to get into esports. I figured, well, what's a skill I can use and writing was really that for me and so I started on Medium um, and I still don't know exactly what inspired it but I just kind of started uh, eventually I got dragged on to a few pro uh, projects the main one being Esports Express um, uh, we kind of did which I guess has its own kind of weird rocky road at that point in esports media but um, when that kind of like slowed down I had an internship with the meta for Kill Screen, um, and that was their Esports, it technically was partnered with Twitch and it was um, their esports kind of vertical uh, within that gaming magazine. That I finished school, that internship ended, they shut down anyway. Um, and I think about a month or two later, I started PC, you know, I guess word got out that I was kind of out and about, and so I got picked up by PC Gamer. Um, and since then, I mean, it's kind of been a bit of a snowball. I went um, I've been with ESPN. I've been with Esports Insider. With them, I just do um, mobile games. And then, like out of nowhere, I get this email from this like this very casual, "Hey, we need we need your response. This is a time sensitive thing." Uh, by the way, I'm CEO of Polygon, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much it. It did pretty much uh, come out like that because um, anyone who knows Chris Grant knows he's a very casual person in that regard. Um, but um, yeah, so I got approached to work with Polygon on the Flying Courier on that site launch. Um, so that's where I am now. And um, basically, we're just a Dota-focused satellite site. Um, that's what we call it, satellite sites. We're the esports sites, uh, whatever you want to call us. And our goal is just to do, like, very focused, you know, content on the games. Instead of just, like, diving into the esports umbrella, uh, we take things game by game. And that's that's where I am now. And... Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll pop up on ESPN or PC Gamer as well, but that's, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I do like that, you know, there, there are very few sites nowadays that can really focus on one thing and do that one thing really well. 
And it does feel like just based on, on the way that it's been set up, you guys can afford to do that, which is, which is nice to see. Now, Chopsky, you are, have, uh, uh, to me, I, just, I find your, your project that you've started recently, Chopsky TV, to be absolutely fascinating. So I'd love to hear, you know, how did you get to the point where you wanted to set up a site like that? And how has that kind of treated you in the kind of early days that we're in right now? Um, okay, uh, so fun fact, I'm actually super old. Uh, I started in esports around about 17 years ago, uh, starting, ad admittedly I was very young, but uh, doing Counter-Strike lands. Uh, this is CS, like when CS was in beta, when it was in a, when it was a Half-Life mod. And uh, so that was kind of just an accident, like, you know, no one had ever even heard the word esports in Western, uh, Western culture before. So we just, like, we didn't even know that this was a thing. We just thought, hey, this game's really cool. We should start, like, organizing lands, and then it's turned into tournaments and uh, you know, so on and so forth. It just kind of snowballed out from from there. And I kind of drifted away for, from things and wandered into the music industry and wandered into the tech world and did a whole bunch of other things for a while. But uh, then the tech world led me back to Twitch. Uh, and that led me back to what, uh, you know, just check out what this thing had become. And my mind was just blown. I'm like, they're, they're, doing, the, they're doing the thing that we did, except it's, <laughs> it's in the stadium. Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, yes, and that was around three three years ago now, and um, yeah, then I just basically found my feet pretty much in there, started getting into, you know, first into broadcast production, because there's so much similarity between, you know, audio production and there, and uh, then one day, one of our casters didn't show up to an event, so I started casting, <laughs> and uh, I guess pretty similar to Victoria's uh, experience, someone from Polygon contacted me and said, we need someone, this is a time-sensitive issue. Uh, can you come and like cover worlds for us? So, like, all right, yeah, <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, and that that really just kind of launched me in from there. And um, yeah, it was is just kind of gone on from there. And since launching me into the actual like media sort of publishing side of things, then uh, you know I've gotten myself embedded in this scene, and I've been to a couple of different worlds now. I've been to a bunch of events all over the world, and I guess I've started to see like these as the various sites start to shut down, that, uh, you know, a lot of these places, uh, as the, the market is kind of, you know, just contracting, and all of a sudden, like, you know, it was a huge plethora of ways to get content, and people that were getting a lot of experience, these just don't exist now. It's, you know, it's basically, you know, Polygon, ESPN, uh, only a handful of others, you know, sitting around there at Tier 2. And you know, I realized, like, one of the things that we saw in the music industry is that when new bands stopped having places to play, within like two to three years, the supply of new bands dried up because there was nowhere for them to get the basic experience that they needed. And that's what kind of led me to Chopsky TV, because I already had this site that I've been publishing my own articles on. Again, I guess kind of like Victoria, just, for a, just as a place to put things. And then, uh, yeah, the next thing I knew I was... You know, buying content from people and you know, giving them tips and doing their editing for them, and uh, I guess here we are. Yeah, no, it it, it is. I, I feel like that pattern. Uh, you know, both of you guys have the you know started off kind of publishing on things. One thing kind of leads to another as it all snowballs as you try to turn those little experiences into bigger ones. And that definitely, you know, for me it was Paravine back in the day. Uh, for people who remember the old Mundoverse. We're going way back to the the early early League of Legends days, uh, and I was working alongside guys like Kelsey, yeah, Kelsey Moser, Emily Rand, uh, Pierre Texnix, who's a caster now, uh, uh, Daniel Dracos, you know, a lot of these big name people, and then you know they ended up leaving that site closed, and there were a lot of people who hadn't quite gone to that tier of experience yet who didn't find a place, and I, I feel like that story of sites that do good work and are trying to help grow that next uh, kind of wave of, of strong media personalities that can cover these events well, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing things like what happened with Slingshot Esports recently. Uh, and, and Slingshot, yeah, and, and absolutely, Rip. I, you know, I've, I've done podcasts for them. I, I like, you know, Andrew Kim. He's been on the pod a couple times before. So I, I guess I want to start with you, Chopsky, because you've literally kind of taken on this site project to deal with this issue. Why do you think these sites have such a hard time being able to 
run at enough of a profit to keep themselves afloat? Why are these closures continuing to happen time and time again, even for sites like Slingshot that are making it to the front page on a regular basis? Uh, well, I mean, it's also just not about the amount of views that you get through. I mean, obviously there are problems with ads, like entirely ad-supported content for like web-based Britain things. This is just not viable in 2017, uh, especially like the proliferation of ad block, but that's just a cop out. Like the, the fact is like they get numbers and revenue and they, the, there's statistics around exactly what's happening and they can see those trends happening. But you'll happily look at streamers that are sending, you know, thousands of, getting thousands of dollars in single donations for content that people are, that, that people like to see. Um, you know, there is money out there. There's people with disposable incomes and they want to spend it on esports and games. They do. They really do. Uh, which leads me to the, like, and I hate to kind of BM my peers, but I don't think that people who get into this have really a lot of business experience in general. Uh, I mean, I can't speak for the owners of most of these sites because I don't know most of them. But, I mean, like, what's... Okay, so Chelsea TV has been operating as like an independent media site for, I don't know, a month now. And it's already more organized and automated than any outlet that I've worked for because I have a background running businesses in entertainment. And maybe this is just my perception, but I feel like they were kind of not set up to make the most of what they had, which is you've got a distributed base of staff, right? Like you don't need offices. You don't need to spend most of the money that you are. Uh, there are very much more efficient ways to run things. And if you look at stuff that's still around like Polygon, uh, like I did a bunch of stuff for Rift Herald, and their system clo is most closely mirrored to the stuff that, that I'm running. It's also very close to the systems that uh, they, you know, they run at Riot and Twitch and a lot of the big companies because you just can't afford to get away with wasting money, with inefficiency, with not communicating effectively, with not keeping organized and making sure that if you're paying for 40 hours a week of someone's time, you better actually utilize that. Um, so I think it's, it is a twofold thing. And just, yeah, failure to capitalize on the amount of revenue that's out there, uh, failure to organize in a way that actually minimizes wasteful expenditure, and uh, just just failure to adapt to what the internet actually looks like in 2017 and it's like it's sad because i you know i came into this scene reading a lot of these places this was you know these were the guys i look up looked up to when when i first got in here and now you know seeing them seeing journalists that i thought wow i hope i can write that well one day uh and seeing them post like hey who wants to hire a writer like that's so incredibly sad for me the idea that they might have nowhere to go and um, that that talent <laughs> Echo, you do not know oh, how to help with anything. You shut the fuck up. No one, no one literally asked this... you. Uh, oh my goodness. Hey, Alexa, how are you from the esports company? <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so many ads oh now. Uh, no, this is fine. So, yeah, uh, and I mean, the fact that, like, uh, that I can provide, uh, I guess, a home for them to, to um, you know, admittedly not make, the, not make a cr an incredible amount of money because... You know, we're not, uh, you know, we're only just starting out. But to also then, like, give them a chance to contribute to bringing more writers into the scene and still achieve And, like, let's be realistic. People do this because they love it. Like, that's why, uh, you know, at their core, like, being able, if you can provide people with an experience that they love, they will, what they're actually getting for it doesn't matter as much as long as they can pay their bills. Uh, and so that's, and, and honestly, like, I don't want to make it sound like we're, uh, you know, taking advantage of everyone because I'm not making any money off this. Uh, the, but this, that, like, leveraging what people are willing to do to contribute to the scene is literally how we've gotten this far. And we've got such an amazing team. Like, I'm, I, at simultaneously at once, I think, of course, of course this would happen. Look at these people. Of course they want to do things. And then I go, I can't believe this is happening. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird dissonance. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you nail it on the head when you talk about just, careful forethought and planning out to maximize the resources that you can kind of afford to have. Uh, that was the thing that I noticed at Paravine that just sank that site is that it wasn't very well organized and they were taking on too many projects and then not enough projects and it was inconsistent. And that'll get you every time because then you're not able to plan ahead, then you're not able to structure things the way you need to keep yourself around in the long mm. run. 
Um, so, so, Victoria, I, I'd love to hear from you, you know, having Polygon as a backer that can kind of, um, you know, keep things afloat, even if maybe one portion of the site, one of these satellite sites, as you called it, is taking a loss. Do, do you feel like that's a, a, a way that we can, we can kind of go in the long run of seeing those kinds of already established sites that have the structures in place, do know how to run the business because they have the organization that got them this far. Is that where you think we're going uh, to a certain extent? Um, I want to believe that. Like I generally do. And like, I think the way that these sites were launched was kind of brilliant. Like it did start with the Rift Herald and Flying Courier and actually Heroes Never Die, which is um, the Overwatch site that Cass Marshall runs. Um, <clears throat> were kind of stemmed by, um, really stemmed by the concept that, like, yeah, you know, we can handle, like, individual, I guess, communities like that, and kind of, we get to, what's really nice is that we don't, too, actually don't think about the business too much as, like, getting good content out there, getting consistent content, um, you know, things that people want to come back to, things that people look for, um, you know, if you, you know, most of the time I do, like, you know, I focus on things that people will be, like, you know, what the heck is going on instead of, I think other sites have this focus on like, we got to get this hot content out, you know, we got to, you know, blast out this mind blowing, whatever, because they got to get the views. And it's nice to have that peace of mind in terms of like, they're not going to, you know, judge me for writing, like literally today I wrote, you know, how do you explain Dota 2 to your loved ones? And um, I think that's, I think that was a lot of <laughs> Chris's No, I mean, t- <laughs> to be clear, my grandma has been asking me to write that article for League of Legends for a while now. Like, please explain to me as like a 70 something year old woman who is, doesn't know how to turn on my computer, how this game works, which is very adorable, if nothing else. Like, <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, so, yeah, but for sure, it's, um, so it's been very good to like, and I guess the other thing is that like we're able to focus on our own like strengths as a game. So like Overwatch has so much stuff about the culture, so much this and that. Um, League of Legends is very well rounded just because the scene is well rounded, and I get to focus more on like esports. Like it just kind of falls together well. But meanwhile, before I lose a thought, and I'm I can rant on for like months about this but gamers the company basically did what exactly what you described which is picking up sites that have the structure had the writers had the content and then literally locked half of them out of their accounts you know like which is what i heard happens um i dropped the sites half these sites don't exist anymore i had i had to google cache them to find them um and there are companies like that and it's because i don't I don't know what the intent was going to that project. I think it was to, you know, take these sites that have the structure and kind of merge them into like, you know, one super content like universe. But, Mm. you know, it's very weird to like, you know, propose that and have that. And like, I'm sure there are other companies that would love to do that and in a much better, much much more efficient way. But we don't have that yet, right now. And that's actually now something and, really interesting yeah. because, like, I mean, like, if you, say, had to open a store tomorrow, right, uh, would you rather open, like, a store that sells every sporting good imaginable or would you rather open, like, a lawn bowls store? Uh, and, like, there, there is actually a right answer to this, and it is the Lawn Bowls store, because you know exactly who wants Lawn Bowls. It's people who go to Lawn Bowls places. Whereas if you try and do everything at once, you can't really do anything well. And that's part of the reason that uh, stuff like Flying Courier and uh, Rift Herald and Heroes Never Die are so successful, because you get to focus on the one thing that you're good at, which is writing about Dota. And you don't have to worry about anything else. Like, I, it, it makes no sense to me to try and make people do things that then that are not the thing they're good at. And I don't know why anyone would want that. Yeah, it's a it's one of those things where I think there's a an urge to, you know, breadth over depth. Uh, you know, just having so many articles. Well, some of them will hit, right? Like if we put out enough content, some of the content will do well because it's a numbers game. And, you know, if we have everyone do all of the things, then maybe we don't need 
as many people like it, it's it, it's approaching the problem I think in the exact wrong direction. And for the record, it's one of the reasons that I don't like Skyrim very much compared to other RPGs because you can do a ton of stuff in Skyrim for hundreds of hours, but it's all surface level. It's all done pretty like good. It's good. It's not great. None, you know. So I, I think that that rule definitely applies to uh, to any sort of of industry. If you if you spread yourself thin, you're you're gonna get exactly what you what you did to yourself there, and it makes marketing just uh, a nightmare. I would imagine to try to appeal to all of the people all of the time. Um, yeah. But I I want to table this for a second. We're gonna come back to uh, kind of the lessons that I think sites can and should learn. Um, but I want to talk to you guys about the content that we are getting right now, because the reason that this conversation started was actually a thread that I saw you in, Victoria, where you were talking about how frustrated you were that all of the world's talk was focused on Faker and him crying at the end of that loss and not on Samsung. And, and, and you came at it from this angle of, I don't think the right stories were accentuated. So, so I want to turn this to you. What do you mean when, when you talk about accentuating the right kinds of stories? What are the stories that the esports scene as a whole needs to do better about telling? What are we missing here? I think, and I've actually had this conversation with one of the, with an editor of a very prominent esports vertical. And it is the human element. It is, I mean, it, it's, you know, the way I put it with Faker was that we were talking about Faker, but Faker lost. Like, I think if LeBron lost, I think people would be focused on that. But then you'd also immediately also go back to the other side of whatever team. Like, you know, if the Nets finally, you know, broke the, um, I, I actually don't know basketball, but if the... If they finally broke the other team's, like, winning streak, you'd also focus on the Nets, you know? But we didn't get enough of, like, I didn't know anything about Samsung until the week of Worlds. Um, and they won. Like, they had a chance at winning, and they did it. And it feels like it came out of nowhere to the West. Like, I mean, two Korean teams, like, oh, it's League of Legends, it's two Korean teams, obviously, you know, there's going to be, you know, that sort of storyline. But... When I looked around for, like, why is this, why has this team been doing so well throughout the season? I found, like, maybe one or, like, a few select articles. And, yeah, exactly. You're, you're definitely <laughs> no, one of them. And, and for the record, I agree with everything you're saying. Like, that was one of the reasons I, I did try to focus on Samsung, is I saw the gap was there. And, you know, you're always... You know, when you when you have a, a great editor, they always try to tell you not to worry about the views so much. Like, keep the content good, and it'll get there. Um, the views on that compared to the views I got in my Faker piece, uh, it it seems like a lot of the online community is geared in in this one track mind in the same way. So, so Chopsky, I, I want to take this to you. How do we? As you know, as veterans of the esports scene, as we continue to try to grow this out uh, as writers, how do we bring people in to those kinds of stories? How do we get people to care about, say, a team like Samsung Galaxy that might not have the same star power, but has a real depth to them as a full? Well, the unit? answer is that they do have the star power. Like, if you, I mean, if you follow LCK at all, which obviously I do because I'm a massive nerd. Uh, like, Samsung is massive. They've got incredible players that are, you know, super famous. But, and this is, again, it's one of these things that sounds so obvious. Uh, people like stuff that they know. Like, it, you know, if someone tells me that uh, Black King Bar was nerfed, I'm like, cool. That's cool. I've heard that name before. I know that it's a strong item. Rad. I don't care. Well, I'm, I'm, I'd be screaming over <laughs> here. Because you just collapse the entirety of, like half the game strategy you, yeah, article. I mean, you'd be screaming anyway, because this is what you do. But that's fine. Uh, only <laughs> when you're screaming at me to stop feeding. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, like, um, 
<laughs> the simple, dumb answer is that you need to tell the stories long enough that people remember them and they remember the actors. You can't introduce someone and make them care about someone unless they've given you something special to hang on to, enough to, or, or at least enough exposure to continue telling the story and follow that actual trajectory. Because, like, Samsung winning doesn't mean anything to anyone unless you've seen them sort of come across. Which is why, like, the story of Gigabyte Marines, or, you know, last year when we were looking at uh, Albus Knox Luna, you know, that's why these guys have such a recognizable story, because they're these underdog stories coming from minor developing regions that are going to come up and then they just smash everyone in the face and then they win a bunch and they're like super loud and brash. Like, that's an easily recognizable story that you can get on board. So that's your, you know, that's your hook. That's what you hang on to. But in the case of a team that basically hasn't sort of developed their storyline, it's just like, this is another t Korean team that played really good League of Legends and then they won. Like, that doesn't mean anything to anyone. So we need to follow ambition through, like, you can't just go, oh, he, like, he played his first game against Fake, like, cool, no one cares. Like, literally no one cares. This is a made-up rivalry that means nothing to anyone involved. Uh, and you keep following the players, and you humanize them, and you tell their actual stories. Because, like, the reason we care about Faker crying is because we've been presented with Faker and Faker's personality for a really long time. You would see the same reaction to even like a mediocre, uh, and I'm an A player, and I'm not going to name any because that would be super BM, but like, <laughs> all that you need to do is for people to actually recognize the personalities involved, whether that be through an explosive underdog win or through, you know, continued exposure to this, to, to what's going on with them, it's actually not difficult. You just need to... Then that's the, the difficult trade-off. And it is this thing that I keep coming back to with the Chopsky TV site is that it's just so easy to do a piece on Faker and get a whole bunch of views. But if you don't invest that time and effort into developing the new upcoming personalities, even personalities that are in the, you know, the best couple of people in the world at their game, if you don't tell people about that, they won't care. And... You know, Faker's going to retire at some point, or he'll, like, get his hands broken in a horrible tractor accident. And then that story's dead, and all of a sudden no one cares about LCK. Like, my, my yeah. interview with Kakoma uh, got, what, like, 400,000 views on YouTube. Right, but I think the best interview I did at Worlds was, like, Olay or um, Daku from Misfits. Like, those guys gave amazing interviews. They had so much insight into, like, their personal experience of it. And I came away from those glowing, thinking, wow, that was amazing. How can I possibly do better than that? Uh, but, you know, Kakoma's the easy views, and there's my, you know, there's my hearty YouTube ad rev. And if you're trying to, you know, if you're just trying to struggle to survive and trying to pay the bills and keep the lights on, yeah, you write that Koma interview. You do it every time because you need to eat. And look, fair enough. Everyone needs to eat, probably. I don't know. If I, I don't know if Faker needs to eat. He's just a god. Probably just yeah, absorbs energy from the room around him. Uh, no, he's you know he. That's the narrative. He's, he's actually very. He's actually <laughs> super nice. I, I no, he gets yeah. awkward about eating around people. It's very cute. <laughs> but yeah, that again, it's the same thing as the site, as the Chelsea TV site. Like you invest in the future, or you like just cut the future's legs off and it falls over and dies and bleeds out. Yeah. I love your analogy, by the way, because you immediately reminded me of like everyone's read like that bad novel where some character comes in like four fifths of the way through and you're like, who the hell is this guy and why are they a main character now? Why do I care about this? Like kind of just comes out of nowhere. Like we, it's you, you do have to build that up and you do have to have that bank to fall back to. And, you know, whether, you know, right now, like I've been watching the North American Challenger at the scouting grounds. Like Riot has never built any of those players up. None of them are going, you know, have like real stories behind it. So no one watched that event compared to Tyler One, who's perma banned and did sell the event and did do all these kind of personality things that brought them up and got three hundred thousand people in his finals. So like if you if you can convince people to care by establishing the reasons why they should care eventually you kind of wear them down but it's it's in getting to that but that's point. the thing is that like, looks... they don't even have to be good players like no one remembers any of the names of the players that beat the stream team meme dream flame game like all they know is that <laughs> like a bunch of upstarts like smashed the old timers and while a bald man shouted at things uh and clipped his microphone out terribly and it was amazing <laughs> like this does not depend on players being good or at the top of their game or at the top of any game 
It just has to be entertaining, and you can entertain people. If like you seriously can't think of ways to entertain people except for being the best in the world, then like just just quit entertainment. Just leave. Do something else. Yeah. No. And and that's. I mean, that's a very fair point. And I I guess uh, Victoria, I, I want to switch this back to you now. You know how how do we. Like if someone is, you know, watching this and they're thinking, oh man, I, I can take this lesson and I can try to apply it. Um, but they, you know, they'll say things like I can't get interviews though, cause no one knows who I am or whatever else. Like, how do we bring apart, you know, bring out those personalities more, uh, even just from a like basic narrative standpoint, are there things that, you know, people just don't look for enough or are there, you know, do you think that like. You know, is is the answer that we all need to start watching streams more often and kind of get players from there? Like, where where do you see the next step being taken if we're going to move this kind of thought forward? Um, I do think focusing on, like, I think just basically what Chopsky's saying is most of it, really. Uh, just going out there, finding the stories, finding the people. Um, but I don't think people just want to hear about people. I think people want to hear about, like, eSports has this really special case because... In esports, we're not just talking about like you know we're watch. It's a spectator sport, but it's also a spectator sport that most people who watch the game have played before. So I think what would be effective is to like kind of bridge that gap between the player and the esports pro. So like I've always, whenever I don't do too many interviews, when I do, I love talking to captains because they understand not just how to play, but their team. Like, they have such a personal and gameplay understanding of their team that when you ask them questions like, you know, how do you pra like, how do you guys practice? And they'll talk about, like, you know, I got one captain from EG to, he was from Europe, and he was talking about, like, oh, I hate EU pubs. EU pubs are terrible. North American pubs are fantastic. And <laughs> that didn't get that many views, but it was also probably one of the more interesting things I've gotten, and I think just like highlighting, like you know, the small, like, oh my God! Yes. All right, um, so bridge connection. Where do I leave off? The captain. Um, I think just finding details and just like the very mundane kind of details. Uh, I already said details of like these professionals' lives. Um, you know, in the game, because we we have this thing in common. We have like you know, League of Legends, Dota, Counter Strike in common that's such an easy thing and it's so easy to miss like you can talk about the professional things but people want to hear about how they can get better too mm -hmm. i i love you know i've been watching uh unicorns banks uh, uh james banks has been doing a lot of interviews over at the esl pro league and one of the things i always love is how like how many of the csgo guys are like man i love pubg like pubg is what i do to relax and i'm like that's relaxed i mean i guess like sure like whatever works for you like i find that fascinating i find you know, what games people gravitate to, whether it's like a Hearthstone thing while they're waiting to load up in queue or whatever. Like, I think that tells you something about a person. And I think the key word there is person. These are people. They are not robots that play a game. And when you treat them as such and you ignore that human element, I, I, I think you, you both really nailed yeah. that. Um, so, like, oh, sorry. I, go. Uh, no, no, go no, for so, it. Like, on that, uh, there was a really interesting, uh, there's really interesting, like, it's not even a podcast, it was a vodcast, I guess, where... Um, these guys like you know, try to compare and contrast the uh, Star Wars prequels with the original trilogy um, and they like so you know if you're asked to describe Han Solo you say he's this dashing rogue you know he's a rebel but he's got a heart of gold and uh, you know you describe Princess Leia and she's uptight and she's aggressive and angry and um, but you know she gets things done and then they ask them to describe any character from the prequels like their person without talking about what they're wearing <laughs> or like what their job is and you go like oh, i don't know <laughs> like i can't because they never developed any personalities and that's just it you develop the personalities uh you show people the personalities and you you give them a chance to care about it because it's not like star wars isn't good because of lightsabers and robots it's good because of the stories of the people that are traveling through that universe with you uh and that's just the same thing with players like show us the players show us who they are and you know the rest rice itself. Yeah, I I appreciate a good red letter media reference, nice. by the way. So thank you for that. Uh, 
I, I want to get into uh, another kind of big thing that's been coming up in the esports scene that relates to how we cover uh, important things like free agency. This has been the big offseason for a lot of different games right now, a lot of different moves going forward. And we're seeing, you know, people are obviously, they're all in on that content. They want to they wanna find out all these things as soon as they can so they can theorycraft and, 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 you know, do all those things that fans love to do. But then you get the people who leak false things or, or kind of break out, you know, try to tell these stories that are, are just factually untrue. And, and then, you know, we see people like Oduwamne make tweets of how his ability to get a contract this season was affected by a fake news story. So, Victoria, I, I want to start with you. Where do we, how, how do we as a community have to uh, handle when, when personalities like this start spreading fake news and they start gaining traction? Like, is that something that, you know, we as writers are responsible for kind of calling out and kind of keeping to a certain, um, measure of standards? Uh, is it something where we have to tell people to be more skeptical and try to get readers to more critically think about it? Where, where do we go with, with this kind of issue that's becoming more prevalent nowadays? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, we don't really deal with that in Dota too much. Um, I have been kind of le lurking in League, though. Um, in Dota, it just doesn't happen because that's not what we find fascinating in the end of it. It is... Um, in the end, we want to see what happens. We want to see, um, you know, we see Eternal Envy eventually kick Puppy's ass because Puppy, uh, you know, didn't pay or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's to us, like, what actually happens in the game is, and I guess on stream is really. But I think, you know, just from a media kind of standpoint, like media ethics standpoint, there's like, I think mostly the person who is, yeah, and I've been following very closely, like, the people you've been talking about, and they do have, in a space, like, a responsibility whenever they say, this may happen. Like, when they have a voice, when you have a me megaphone, you don't, you know, yell fire, unless there's a fire. And, you know, maybe it's really weird, like, I think it should, at, like, at the same time, the people reading the media should have the literacy, but that's not something that we're, you know, we as writers... Are, nece are necessarily responsible for. Um, that's something that... It's something I'd love to address, like, if I ever go back to academia or something, but it's, like, actively... I don't want to say I'm not responsible for it, but readers should be better informed. That's the long and short of it. But you can't expect them to be. You know, that's why we're... You know, that's why certain people are tasked with that. And you have to assume you have a degree of control over the information and knowledge is power. Um, and when you abuse that, yeah, you know what? You should be called out. You should be, um, you know, ostracized by what could be your peers, even if you don't think they're your peers. They're your peers now. Because that's what you're doing. You're doing their job. And you're probably ruining their job. So, yeah. I mean, if anything, that kind of what puts the onus on... Uh, it shows why more professional media is actually worth the money. Because some guy with a blog and a Twitter page is accountable to no one. When you have an editor and a boss looking over you saying, like, if you tweet the thing that's not right, like, you're actually going to compromise your income. And, like, I get people want to, you know, they want to do the thing. They want to get into the thing. And the best way to do that, they think, is being sensationalized. But, I mean, if you look at uh, what's, uh, Drexen, esports, um, esports heaven. You know, he had the story of uh, Mark Merrill getting boosted, like, three years ago, four years ago, whenever it happened. He, he got that, like, that week. And you know what he did with it? Nothing. Because it was not a good idea for him as a no-one with no backup and no support to actually just go and drop that on them. Because he didn't have the, you know, a heap of evidence and it took him a while to sort of figure everything out. Um, and, you know, this is the thing is that we do actually, you know, regardless of whether or not you consider that to be you know, being afraid of whistleblowing or what have you. Uh, the fact is that when you have information that you either know for a fact, which is good, you know, if you're Jacob Wolf level fact, I got this from three sources, or whether it's fact like, oh, I overheard this in the scrim, uh, you are responsible for what happens afterwards 
if you're, you know, regard, even if that information is true, when, when and how you present that into the public consciousness will affect how people interpret it and how people interpret it will affect what they do with that information and how they react afterwards. Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent that kind of shows the value of, yeah, people with responsibilities, uh, people for whom there are repercussions to their actions, like perhaps not having a job if you, you know, manage to screw up a player trade or, or so on and so forth. But yeah, that's some things that I think. Yeah. Yeah. And editors are just, I mean, that's why editors exist, because they do vet your sources and you have to have that back and forth. Is this story worth it? I, I think is a question that a professional will ask that an amateur will not necessarily ask, because for the amateur, I mean, what do they have to lose? They don't have the same incentives necessarily in place. Certainly they're losing an opportunity in the long run, but people intrinsically are kind of bad at judging that. People are very good at being able to understand something that's happening to them right now. How something will affect them five, ten years down the line, uh, we've got so many studies that show we are just not great at that yeah. as, as a species. So I, I think that uh, certainly that there is a kind of journalistic uh, level of, of integrity and, and structure that these guys should be bringing. But, you know, someone like Jacob Wolf, when he sees these things, you know, often points out that these gaps are there because there aren't a lot of people doing the investigative side of journalism in the esports scene. He would say that, you know, we don't have a lot of people that are digging in for stories and are willing to, you know, go out there and really, you know, risk rubbing some people the wrong way because for most sites, uh, if you leaked a thing about, say, Cloud9, it doesn't matter whether you were correct or not. Cloud9's not going to do an interview with you anymore unless you are literally ESPN. So I, I guess, Victoria, do, do we... Do you think there's that kind of problem? Do you think that we need more people to kind of try to step up in that role? Or do we need to maybe create a framework in which people feel comfortable trying to uh, to do that kind of work? Or is it just uh, these are kind of excuses as to why these things exist in the first place? Um, Where do you stand on it? I definitely have opinions on that. I am... I think that there do need to be more people, but I don't think that is the issue because there are at least enough people in the scene to talk to that specialize in the games, in the communities, to go to, to share the information. Um, it's on the esports side. It's not on the writer side at all. Like, let me tell you, um, there's one pro chat I lurk in sometimes, and they are fucking terrified of saying anything. I don't, I'm not exaggerating. They are absolutely horrified of leaks, because... Some of the stuff apparently going on backstage, and I mean, this is a massive, um, this is a massive community and a massive game. There, some of the stuff apparently is just abhorrent. But if they share what happens with anyone, they're even more scared of what hap what's going to happen to them. And I've gone things in Dota. I've heard some, I've heard some stuff of, like by some companies. I can't. I don't want to share because it's like. I don't want to put the people that are getting hired for those events at risk because Dota is so small and all these communities are much smaller than you think. And I, you know, the word incestuous gets used a lot and that really describes it. Like there are people basically, you know, it's like so for its size, for its magnitude in terms of presence, it's so small in terms of people that anything can affect anything in the long run. Um, and journalists, like, I think being a responsible journalist does mean that you acknowledge that to a degree. And, like, I, I, like, you know, I've definitely heard things and I just can't talk about them because, you know, I just don't want these people in trouble. And there's only a select people who know about them. And that's part, like, that's part of the ethics of journalism. And that's, you know, for instance, also why, you know, when we hear about all this sexual harassment stuff, some of this stuff happened 15 years ago. But you can't talk, it's an open secret, but you can't just report it because, you know, some of these people had, like, literal, basically, like, journalistic hitmen on them and lawyers. You know, it's it's kind of a parallel, not that, not like a, you know, similar, not the same thing, but, you know, in terms of consequences, in terms of what you have to consider in terms of the industries that are being considered and the 
um, how they're going to be affected. Yeah, there's, there's ethics to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, a very interesting connection that you made. And it's something that I have experienced in, you know, my own writing. I've only really done one truly investigative piece ever. Uh, it was like two and a half years ago when people were talking about like it was right when Team Ember entered the League of Legends scene and they released all their contracts publicly. And so it was that conversation of should we release them publicly or not? And, and uh, Walter and I did a step-by-step -step breakdown of all of the statements that we saw on both sides and almost everyone was kind of full of shit, but that's how these PR statements and everything are going to go, right? Uh, but we were able to gain access to a challenger contract, uh, Stixay's challenger contract to be specific, and we released that out on the League of Legends Reddit with obviously all personal info redacted. We're not more, you know, crazy people or morons. Um, and I got death threats, multiple death threats. Uh, I, like, it was a really harsh throwback because you have all these people, all they want to do is root for CLG and how dare you say something. Clearly you're biased against them. It's not that you have this factual thing in front of you. It doesn't matter what that says, it's how they feel. And these are, you know, very rabid communities that whether we want to or not, a lot of times, you know, views do matter. And if you alienate them entirely, well, good luck getting enough hits to be noticed by what maybe whatever that next site you want to go to is going to be. Like, the consequences are there. Um, and, and, and Chopsky, I guess, how do you kind of view this as someone who's trying to do the, you know, give writers a place to kind of learn. This this seems like a very important skill for a lot of young people to learn who are entering the scene. Like, how do you approach teaching that lesson and, and also potentially teaching them how to deal with that backlash when inevitably people aren't happy that someone criticized a favorite yeah, team of uh, Look, actually, really good question. <laughs> um, uh, the answer is it's just straight up difficult because, like, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's not even about just, like, uh, you know, outing these people that have, you know, shared secrets with you. But, you know, if you if you hear something because you're close to a team and then you release that, like, you can lose access to the team. This entire industry runs off reputations and personal relationships. And, you know, to be fair, all industries do. Uh, so with without... I guess a mutual, I don't want to say codependence, but without, you know, solid enough relationships that, you know, people can trust that you're going to do the right thing, the thing that you believe is right all the time. Uh, you know, in my experience, people will generally work with you, even if you're doing something that they disagree with, as long as you tell them beforehand and explain your reasoning. So, oh, I covered the Tainted Minds disaster. Um, so, little known fact, um, I actually used to slash still do run uh, Esports Professionals Association in Australia, in Oceania. Um, and, you know, initially this organisation was formed to kind of unite the teams together, uh, both from an organisational goal of, like, let's, you know, they're all trying to do a bunch of the same things, they're wasting a bunch of money, let's, you know, pool our resources, let's try and auto merge together, let's try and stop, you know, hating each other so much that we won't even talk to each other on Twitter. Uh, trying to bridge some of those those rifts in there, and then tainted minds happened. Jesus Christ! Um, so you know, all of a sudden we're into like you know thirty-page documents of he says he says he says with he saw, you know, lots of sets, and you know, I actually ended up interviewing like everyone, like everyone involved. there did a bunch of phone interviews from um, from, and I actually. Um, had cause to go back to Australia anyway for another, so like went on site and interviewed a bunch of people, and you know getting to the actual root facts after talking to like eight, nine, ten people and trying to establish like a factual timeline with causal series of events was actually just really difficult. And if I didn't have, uh, I guess, a strong background in like investigation of sorts, uh, and admittedly like very little of that is investigative journalism but uh you know a lot of in sort of you know when i was doing a whole bunch of tech stuff like trying to find the root cause of something you have to be incredibly scientific with what you know what you think you know what you might know but you don't and what you don't know that you don't know and those steps of investigation are pretty much the same no matter what you're trying to find out uh 
and it's so it's just about getting a scientific method for people down and again it comes back to the fact that there's not very many people doing it like if you are the only person doing the thing and you burn someone and they won't talk to you anymore like that information is like that that opportunity is now gone like no one is ever going to look at them again but if there's a hundred other hungry journalists out there chomping at the bit to find the information then that means that you know it's in people's best interest to give that information and to give the actual truth to the people that they trust and they have a good relationship with that they know that they can release that in a responsible manner um and you know again which actually builds the relationships and you know i've told so i've had to write some pretty you know bad stuff about people that was true but i called them beforehand and said hey here's the thing that we're going to write and this is going to suck but it's true and people need to know and they're like yeah all right and we're actually still on pretty good terms with a bunch of those people now and despite the absolute thrashing that i gave the ownership of tainted minds in the media at the time and in public and through espas uh we're actually again we're actually on on pretty good terms now and we understand that like not you know people generally don't start evil or uh they they're doing things for their reasons and their perceptions are what they are and I don't know if you've ever anyone's ever watched Louis Thoreau, but uh, dude is an absolute god of investigative journalism because he doesn't go he does he doesn't present any judgment at any point. He just goes to find out information. You see him interviewing KKK members and people who've committed genocide, and he's just asking them questions. Uh, and that's a really good start. If you don't have the time to learn to investigate properly, just ask questions to get at the information. Yeah. No, and I, I think that you know that's how. All of these kinds of, I mean, even like a, a non-investigative page, like asking story, you know, the question of like, what story needs to be told here? What is the thing that matters most? But as, but especially in investigative work, just having that awareness, I, I think is so huge um, and, and something that I hope, uh, you know, people really take to heart, uh, especially as, as we try to, you know, solidify this esports scene as a more professional atmosphere and you know to create that mutual respect i think that you touched on where you know you might not always agree with the actions that someone took or whatever else but that's not what matters what matters is you're telling the truth in a story and you're presenting that in a way that is fair and reasonable uh regardless of of whatever that conclusion you know that you may draw personal life whatever that's not what investigative journalism is about um, I do want to close with one more thing before we wrap up here. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people would would look at the the esports scene right now, and you know the way that you know sites that have, have really struggled. Uh, you know, the certain types of of journalists and, and how easily like people can kind of fall out of the wayside. Um, so I, I guess right now, I, I think this is a big moment for the esports industry to kind of figure these things out so i, I want to start with you victoria what do you want to see from the kind of esports coverage scene as a whole from from writers from you know all these different websites like what are the things that you most want people to do as we try to take the next step forward in establishing ourselves as serious journalists who know how to do things the right way um, I think just filling in the gaps for now is just really something that needs to get done. Like, you know, that's something we do, kind of Rift Herald, uh, Flying Courier, etc. Because um, people are looking, you know, a lot of these people basically have dove into these games, you know, as their lives. And, you know, they want to engage with it. They want to, you know, find new ways to think about it. And, you know, just do things well, do things deeply and um you know just don't you know i think there there's a lot to take from things that have closed like slingshots um you know very independent very upfront reporting style you know the jacob wolf type fiat on fire type um and basically everything in between but like don't and you know travis gafford interviewing kind of thing but like don't make that <laughs> I, I um sorry <laughs> there's things to learn from them but you don't have to make that your exclusive stuff there is value in 
any like literally everything in between that and you know sites you're trying to um do it all um and maybe people can do it all but like sites can't um so they just need to you know and in the same way that like games um magazines you know waypoints like actually a shit poster on social media and then they get into like you know what's the meaning of the shoe size of sonic um, and then they'll get into some actually really deep stuff, you know, about the same games. But, um, and then Polygon's a very frank take. They try to, you know, we try to do like more original stuff, more original approaches. Um, every, and IGN's very matter of, every, you know, just find a voice and it doesn't have to be the same voice, like at all. And I think that's what a lot of the sites that ended up shutting down were doing. They were being, they were just kind of echoing off of each other a lot of the time. And, it, when you echo, you know, we also got a lot of the same issues that we saw at Worlds with the reporting, you know, like the faker situation because these sites were bouncing off of each other all the time. You know, uh, find something. I think these sites need to just figure themselves out and the writers need to figure themselves out and, you know, figure out what, what can I bring to the table. And maybe maybe it is going to replace, you know, Travis Gaffer one day. Um, but better, you know, be better. <laughs> what does it even say? I can't see. The the, the glare there oh. is. It is immense. I just realized you actually can't see this on on my camera, but not the other one. It says Victoria loves lol because you talk about it at any possible opportunity, and it's very cute. You got a little crush. <laughs> I have a crush on League of Legends on Riot. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I have a hate crush. <laughs> crush on Riot. All right. No, but Look, and that's. And you know what, Dota, Dota does need advice, though, because I don't know what... Dota's in a very weird situation right now. Um, I, and I think... I do focus so the conversation because on, on League of Legends, because that's like 85% of esports content nowadays. Um, it's because League of Legends has it figured out somehow. And it's not just Riot. It's like the third party people around, you know, like you guys have done some great stuff. ESPN does great stuff. All these sites do fantastic, um, you know, fantastic work. And they have it figured out. And I think that's something that like a lot of other games want to replicate is just we haven't figured out what sticks yet over in dota mm. so it's we're still we're still in that process but i think people just want to go on reddit and be obnoxious and meme and no that's this is a dota thing i guess would, yeah would, being obnoxious <laughs> and being engaged i don't know you, I, I, I can tell you from my solo queue games that's not a dota thing that's that's a uh it's enough Anonymity on the internet thing, I think, more than anything uh, yes, else. It's the uh, yeah. great uh, internet fuckwit yeah. theory. Anonymity <laughs> plus exactly audience right. equals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Chomsky, same question to you. What do you want to see? What are, what would you most like to, to see kind of improve and change as we move forward? Um, difficult question. Uh, actually, surprisingly difficult because it's a lot easier to like make small course corrections than it is to actually set like the actual course i mean the first thing i want to touch on is like that i just want you guys to think about is how long have i had that written out in front of me ready to hold up the victoria loves lol sign um how many examples does it take for me to write that uh, off screen but um i think there are a bunch of ways forward um and i've written pretty extensively about where i think the financials of esports need to go uh and how that's going to dictate the i guess the future of, of what happens because i mean like my dad was an accountant so you know he said if you follow the the money you you know how a, a business runs um and i don't want to say that crowdsourcing is the answer to everything because that's dumb and it's just it's a cop out like a lot of people say oh we'll crowdsource it and like, well we're assuming that people want to give up their money for this thing but we need to get better at understanding what people like and want and serving those needs uh, because people like a lot of different stuff, like they really do. And you know, the one of the things that we tell new journalists, and they say, "Oh, what should I write about?" I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm not you. Like, what's your voice? Find your voice. And when you were talking about finding your voice before, I'm just sitting here like heartily nodding along, going, "Yes, come to the dark side." <laughs> and so, you know, we need to find, like, help people find their voices because. Like, there are so many stories out there and so many different perspectives that, like, I can't even tell you what the other perspectives are going to be because I can't, I don't know what people are going to want. Uh, I mean, my 
uh, my favourite story, the best thing that I've probably ever written was my world's piece this year, and it was about uh, some people that I met in a dog grooming salon. Like, there's no faker there. And, like, I am... I would have... The only reason that I found that is because I didn't go and stay at the same hotel as everyone. I wanted to just be really close to the venue because I'm lazy and I didn't want to carry all my gear. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, yeah, diversifying our perspective and letting what's interesting kind of rise to the top. And it's the same kind of thing that happened with the music industry when stuff went... When everything went digital, when all of a sudden you could create a band's album, albeit not a particularly highly produced one, for like $100 on a home PC. You know, all of a sudden you went from having a small amount of content being created at the top that just had to just be absorbed by everyone. And all of a sudden, like when you could still have your $500,000, you know, album, or you could have the $10 album, you find like all of these mid tiers of success and all of these other content creators just popped up and it, it just expanded. And all of a sudden you get these like bizarre genres of like shoegaze electro funk or like, I can't even imagine, I can't even remember half of the genres of like bands of shows that I went to that only existed because people had the tools and the opportunity to do a lot of this stuff. And fair enough, like anyone can start a medium, but uh, you know, it's just about expanding that expanding the scope of where the content's being created and telling people, you know what, you can do this because so many people I talk to think, oh, they you know, they say, oh, I really want to write. This actually happened yesterday. I was just having a DM with some random I met on Twitter. And like, oh, I really would just be like an esports journalist, but like, I don't even know where to start. No one would hire me because I don't have any experience. And I'm like 17. I'm like, I was just trying to figure out if I was getting memed at first. I'm like, is this the fun? Like, are you trying to do, do you know what I, what we do? Yeah. And she's like, oh, do you have a website? Like, let me tell you about things. Uh, and these people are <laughs> everywhere. Um, you know, and you talk to, even, you know, in casting, like, you talk to people all over and like, oh, I'd love to try casting, but I'm just, you know, no one will take me seriously. I'll get, like, made fun of and I don't know where to start and I don't know who to learn from. And then you bring them into a group of people who do it and they're excellent at it, but they didn't know that they even could have done it. So... Let's just like open, slam the doors open. Let everyone come in and just try their hand at things. Just be less salty on the internet, people. Like everyone's <laughs> going to be new at some time. Don't flame. Uh, rec- like, sorry, go on. I'm gonna freaking. If anyone like is like, oh, this is the right way to do writing and journalism and esports. One more time, I'm gonna freaking flip my desk off, <laughs> track it, and slam it on someone's head. Cause um, mm. it is. Like people are saying, like, oh, this is the right. Maybe it's the right way to do investigative journalism. It's not the right way to do esports. Esports is entertainment at the end of the day, you know. And esports writing is another form of that. Just do what makes people do what makes you happy because somebody else is going to be happy because of it. Because it shows. Trust me, it really, really shows. Like your voice just freaking shines in esports because er- otherwise everyone just sounds like a news one of those news spots that automatically makes news. Just don't be that news spot, please. I mean, honestly, like your ability to form your own voice, to be your own person, that's how you stand out, right? Because no one else can be you. And that doesn't mean you're going to figure it out right away. I've been writing in some professional manners from 10 years, you know, for 10 years now. When I was 16 writing for the local paper, I promise you I was shit. I can guarantee, like I can bring out the articles, I guarantee you, but you know, but you get better by doing and you get better by trying and by failing and fail a lot and in different ways fail like and learn from those failures and grow from them because it's it's you're not going to be perfect right away and that's okay um and i i highly encourage um you know anyone who's watching this uh you know if you want to reach out to me on twitter i'm at redshirt king i am always happy to to talk to people and look at uh, an article um and kind of give you some at least some basic thoughts because I want to help people the same way that I was helped when I was first getting into this. And I think that that's something we can all, you know, anything that we can do to, to let people understand that, you, you know, go for this. If this is what you really want to do, it's a lot of work. But if you really want to, like, you, you can get there and you got to give yourself the chance to, to try. Yeah. Um, Please but, just uh, do the thing because I've yeah. seen some fantastic people just do the thing on like even Reddit and I'm like already eyeing them like if I ever, you know, start my own company, I'm hiring this person from Reddit because just because they wanted to do the thing and they did it beautifully on their first shot. Just or, and, like some of them failed and then they kept getting better. I saw them like two years later. And I'm like, 
wow, now that I'm actually a writer, I think this is fantastic, you know? That's why I have two people just who read do it, it already. Like, just people I saw in threads are like, wow, that was amazing. Like, where did you find yeah. this? And they're like, oh, I just didn't think. Um, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, if you, lo if you love doing the thing and you can afford to not, uh, you can afford to do that, like, while you're paying for your life, just, just, just try it. Because, like, I don't know, that was just the most perfect thing that you said before, which is that no one else can be you. I, I honestly feel like no one can even say anything about the topic after that because it just sums it up so beautifully. Um, <laughs> do the thing, like, if it's, if you don't feel confident, like, you know, filling up the sign-out form or, you know, posting in Discord, like, send me a DM. Send him a DM. Send him a DM. Like, there are so many people out there that we are all super psyched that people want to do the thing. And whether it's, like, casting or journalism or broadcast production or to be a player, like, we know all of these things. Or if we don't know them, we know who can help. Just just ask people. Like, we don't buy it. Uh, and there are so many more people like us. We're just the ones that are in front of you right now. So just reach out to someone. doesn't matter who. Just do the thing. Yep. I think all of us have had, like literal calls with people who want to do the thing, and it's it's always a good time. So. Yeah. Oh, oh darn! I get to talk about a thing that I, I love know, with right? somebody who might also be passionate about it. What a shame! You uh, know, they always <laughs> what a waste of my time. Yeah, they always feel like they're bothering you. I'm like, no, this is great. You remind me of me when I was 17, and this is so exciting to get you go see you go through these same feelings that I did when I first like talked to someone who was already doing stuff. Oh, see, look at me. I'm exactly. Like, I've got the vapors. Like. <laughs> we we ended we ended on a high note, and I, I think that's the the right way to go. And and thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you two so much for for coming on to the show. It was great talking to you. Um, hopefully, uh, we can have you guys on again sometime because I, I find uh, you guys had just a lot of of interesting things to say. And if people want to talk to you about the things that you had to say, or if um, you they want to read your content and everything else, let's start with you, Victoria. Where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, I am mostly on a flying courier nowadays, um, but I am on Twitter. I post way too much. If you're ready to f have a flooded feed 24-7, come follow me on Twitter, Rinning Air. Um, there's a little blue tick right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud of that still. It's so stupid. Um, but yeah, no, come find me. Come reach out. I have emails there. I, um, Especially if you're a Dota writer, please come. I will definitely, if you're a girl in Dota, I will definitely follow you if you're like, you know, if you're trying to get a career, um, I don't, I don't know about careers, but if you just want to learn how to do the thing, I am more than willing to chat you up anytime. So, yay! Nice, perfect. What about you, Chopsky? Where can people at home awesome. find Chopsky you? Is globally unique. Uh, you can basically just type Chopsky into Google. There is Chopsky. It, you actually can't see the thing it's now. It's not the right camera. It's. The right I'm camera. no, I'm doing the other camera. I've got oh, that the camera. other camera. Yeah, oh. This. oh, this. <laughs> there we go. The filming camera. All right. There's the filming camera, and there's the. I don't know. There's no the Discord camera. Um, Perfect. So, this and all of this is in the description as well yeah. for the record. Uh, so hit up Chopsky TV, <laughs> Chopsky TV, uh, Twitch TV slash Chopsky Twitter dot everything dot whatever. Oh. I'm just the yeah. Just just slam that into Google. <laughs> Honestly, like people, my. People got mad at me at first for not putting a phone number or an email address on my business card. I'm like, if you can't use Google, we aren't going to get along. So, <laughs> there we are. That, that seems very fair to me. Well, thanks again so much for coming on. Uh, come back next time, uh, listeners at home. I have a special episode, kind of a silly episode, where I get in an argument with uh, Matthew Galbraith, who's been on the show before, about the Marvel films. So if you would like to hear all of uh, our, our thoughts and feels on what has been an incredible journey there, uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for all of the League of Legends things as we get closer to the season and those wonderful team-by-team -team previews. Goodbye, Internet.